last episode, we talked about the fossil fuel industry's plan to make up for any revenue it might lose as the world transitions away from its products in the residential and transport sectors. Petrochemicals has become a kind of mantra for the oil industry, but thank goodness for petrochemicals because you know that's where all the growth lies. And it's quite interesting, if you, if you take the data now, um, from BP and, and, and the IEA, probably the two um, leading uh, forecasters of, uh, of the entire system, then from our calculations, about half the growth of oil demand in the next 20 years in the IEA numbers is actually from plastics. And, and, and surprisingly enough, it's basically all of the growth in oil demand. Today, we're going to dig a bit further into the industry's plan on this front, because just a couple weeks before that episode came out, a team of journalists from the UK revealed the fruits of an undercover investigation they've been running for years. A video and accompanying article in which two former high-level lobbyists for ExxonMobil walked through every step of how the company messages and lobbies on climate policy and environmental regulations. I'm Lawrence Carter. I'm an investigative reporter for Unearthed, um, which is a investigative journalism project funded by Greenpeace in the UK. Awesome. And um, I'm going to play a little bit from the uh, video that you guys released so that anyone who hasn't seen it yet will get a bit of a, a flavor for it. This is Keith McCoy, one of ExxonMobil's top Capitol Hill lobbyists. Did we aggressively fight against um, uh, some of the science? Uh, yes. Um, did we hide our science? Absolutely not. Um, did we uh, did we join some of these shadow groups uh, to work against uh, some of the early efforts? Yes, that's true. Uh, but there's nothing there's nothing illegal about that. We were looking out for our investments. We were looking out for our shareholders. And you're not going to be able to just switch to battery operated vehicles or wind for your electricity. And just having that conversation around why that's not possible in the next 10 years is critically important to the work that we do. So, um, and, and, and that's at every phase. That's, that's, that's in the Senate, that's in the House, that's with the administration. Lawrence Carter talked to me about how they set the whole thing up and some of the things that he was surprised to learn. You can listen to that whole interview as a bonus episode in the feed next week, but today we're gonna share something that wasn't in the unearthed video or story, but that was part of what former Exxon lobbyist Keith McCoy talked about, the industry's plastics playbook. I then talked at length about um, how he basically said that um, the vast majority of the American Chemistry Council's resources is going into um, their plastics work yeah. and keeping plastics on, you know, preventing bans, talking up the ability of recycling to deal with the problem. Yeah. Um, and that included, you know, like um, working on model legislation um, in kind of Keith McCoy's words to, um, they, they would rather have legislation come from them than right. some super progressive politician. 
I'm Amy Westervelt, and this is Drilled, Season 6, The Bridge to Nowhere. Today, the continuation of Part 1, Plastic Pipelines. That's coming up right after this quick break. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So they were, they're talking about um, moving fracked gas as LNG over to petrochemical facilities in other countries to make yeah. plastic. And how important that was for their business. You know, he said plastic's the future. I'll quote McCoy directly here from the transcript of this conversation. He said, petrochemicals are expanding in the United States because of, you know, the cheap access to natural gas. Looking at how we can make these plastics more environmentally friendly is going to be key because that's the next big frontier. Keith McCoy talks about how they want to take this kind of cheap feedstock. Um, I think he refers to the Permian, but I guess it could, you know, yeah. it could be equally applied to Pennsylvania um, and actually rather than manufacture the plastic in the US to kind of turn it into liquefied natural gas and ship it over to um, petrochemical facilities that they have um, in Asia and in Australia um, oh. so that they can you know really crank up plastic sales in those places. Oh. Okay so we we know this already We know that cheap natural gas is fueling a plastics boom and that the industry is banking on plastic to save it and that plastic recycling is basically greenwashing. But there's something different about an oil lobbyist just coming right out and saying it. That was journalist Lawrence Carter again that you heard there. He and his colleagues at Unearthed, an investigative outlet in the UK that's funded by Greenpeace, set up an undercover operation to get Exxon to share its playbook. 
Ultimately, they had a reporter pose as a corporate recruiter and interviewed two high-level Exxon staffers who had recently left. That reporter asked the men all kinds of questions about the company's strategy, and they answered in great detail. After we talked, Carter sent me a transcript of the part of the conversation between his undercover reporter and former Exxon lobbyist Keith McCoy that focused on plastic. It's 14 pages long, just to give you an idea of how much time he spent talking about Exxon's plastic strategy. In that conversation, McCoy said that all the Exxon petrochemical facilities that are being retooled or that are just now being built are geared toward plastics. He says, quote, We see that as a big business, a growing business. But the issue is going to be disposal and recycling of plastics. And then he explains that to deal with the pesky problem of disposal and recycling of plastics, Exxon is working with the American Chemistry Council. Here's a snippet from one of the many American Chemistry Council videos about how plastics aren't a problem and recycling is working just fine. Plastics. Our society demands their benefits and an environment free of plastic waste. Recycling helps keep plastics out of our oceans and environment, but traditional recycling technologies have some limitations. While mechanical recycling can handle most bottles and containers, today's lightweight packaging designs are a bit trickier. Fortunately, emerging and innovative technologies can repurpose these plastics into new and useful products and again, keep in mind here that right now, the industry's plan is to shift whatever fossil fuels we manage to stop using in cars and homes over to plastic. So what we're talking about here comes with both immediate and long-term consequences. There's the immediate environmental scourge of plastic waste. Less than 10% of it is actually recycled. It never breaks down in the environment and it is filling up and poisoning our oceans, the birds and marine life that survive off of them, and many other waterways. And there's the air and water pollution associated directly with the facilities that make plastic and with the fossil fuel infrastructure required to feed into those factories. And then there's the climate impact. Here's Carol Muffett, president and CEO of the Center for International Environmental Law again. And if you look specifically at the refineries and the crackers, mm -hmm. even in the completely hypothetical, mythical world where you were, where you were fueling those refineries and crackers with 100% renewable energy, yeah. which is not possible within the footprint of the plants, you'd still only cut the emissions in half because the chemical processes themselves are so greenhouse gas intensive. And this becomes particularly important when you recognize that because of the success of the growth of renewable energy, within the next couple of years, the in industrial sector will surpass the power sector as the primary source of greenhouse gas emissions in this country. And just like with climate change, the fossil fuel industry has known about the various environmental impacts of plastic for decades at least since the 60s. You know, just as we did with the oil and gas crisis, we've begun to look at, well, what did the industry know about what was happening to plastics in the environment? 
And what we've found, and we've published some of this research and there's more to come, mm -hmm. was that it was very clear from the very earliest stages that plastics were showing up in the environment, showing up in the ocean, showing up in waterways from certainly the 1960s onward. Mm -hmm. in, the 19, in the late 1950s and 60s, you know, research funded by the oil industry to look at oil spills and oil pollution in the Gulf of Mexico kept finding oil-related toxics um, adhering to plastic that was floating in the water, demonstrating and raising, you know, raising the first evidence that plastics actually tend to accumulate and concentrate other environmental toxins and become vectors for those toxins. So, industry knew that plastic was bad news in waterways. And it also knew that plastic doesn't break down, ever. It becomes equally clear that the industry was aware that plastics wouldn't break down in landfills, um, wouldn't break down in environment, and um, there's this rather remarkable, this rather rather remarkable op-ed from from a plastic industry executive um, from from the 1960s, where he where he argues, yes, we know it won't break down in landfills. We consider that a feature, not a bug. Right. It'll it'll That's provide good. stability to the landfill. Now, public awareness and concern around the plastic problem is growing. And according to lobbyist Keith McCoy, the fossil fuel industry will use the same tactics here that it used on climate change. Here's how he laid it out. You want to get smart on it, right? Because you know it's coming. So you want to get... It's just like on climate change, right? So when climate change came, well, it's here, but well, when it started, you started to have conversations to say, well, you can't completely change the electric grid from coal and gas into wind, and here's why. It's the same conversation. You can't ban plastics because here's why. Or you can't recycle, you know, or legislate 100% recycling because here's why. It's just not technologically feasible. So that's the public messaging. When it comes to Congress, McCoy says they look for solutions they can talk about. Ways to maybe change the chemistry to make plastic slightly more recyclable. Or laws that would need to change to make 100% recycling feasible. Ideally, laws that would be too far-reaching and too complicated for Congress to actually change. He says, I would love something like that to say, look, we're happy to do 100% recycling. We think it's technologically feasible. But as an example, interstate commerce clause prevents us from doing it. I don't know if that's true, but you know, having that type of conversation, like you have to change the interstate commerce clause because that prevents us from carrying plastic across state lines or something. Yeah, what a gift that would be, right? The scary thing here is that it's not just Exxon or the oil industry. It's also the chemical industry, which has been in the lobbying and spin game just as long and just as successfully as fossil fuel. It's like an industry Voltron, which is why this idea that the plastic problem is a distraction from the climate problem or just about making different consumer choices is so off base. Here's Muffet again. For a long time, um, the fight against plastics was presented as something that was 
ultimately about suburban moms, you know, impressing each other with not using straws. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. But that argument breaks down when you go to the Philippines and you look at how plastics there are affecting human rights. It breaks down when you see mountains of waste piled up in India. It breaks down when you talk to fishermen from Louisiana and Texas who are pulling plastic out of their bays and out of their fish. Yeah. Um, And it really, really fundamentally breaks down when you talk the people who are living in the shadows of the fracking wells yeah. and and the and the crackers. Plastics are one of the highest emitting of all industrial sectors and they're also the most rapidly growing. Yeah. And on their present trajectory, you know, they could contribute 56 gigatons of carbon to the global atmosphere by 2050. But Exxon and Chevron and API and the American Chemistry Council will go on asking, "Well, are you turning off your lights?" Are you buying the electric cars that are only just now becoming available and are still only barely affordable? That's it for this episode. Next time, we'll head back to the Gulf Coast to check in on Diane and Sharon, who are still holding the line against the petrochemical boom there. Come back for that. Drilled is an original production of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. The show is reported, written, and hosted by me, Amy Westervelt. Our producer this season is Juliana Bradley. Our editor is Julia Ritchie. Our theme song this season is Death Song by B. Beeman. Additional music for the season composed by Elliot Peltzman. Our artwork for the season is done by Matthew Fleming. Our First Amendment attorney is James Wheaton at the First Amendment Project. You can find additional reporting and photos for this season on our Twitter feed at WeAreDrilled or online at drillednews.com. If you're a fan of the show, please consider supporting us in two ways. One, if you want to spend some money and get some extra bonus content and early episodes, check out our Patreon at patreon.com drilled. You can also support us by giving us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps us find new listeners and combat the army of climate denier trolls that are constantly trying to tank our ratings. Thanks for doing that, and we'll see you next week.